Let's get scratching. We got an explosive broadcast coming to you. Listen up. Sega games, just keep playing them. Sega! We're back. It's the Sega Bit Swing Report Show. Get ready for Sega interviews and news with George and Barry. Hello and welcome to episode 80 of the Segabit Swing and Report Show. I'm Barry, with me is my co-host George. Hello. And joining us, we have an extra special guest, the, the man who handles social media and PR for a certain blue hedgehog, we call him Sonic, Mr. Aaron Weber. Hello, how are you guys? Doing great. Thank you so much for coming on to chat with us, Aaron. Yeah, of course. So let's dive right into the questions. Uh, the first one, I don't know why I asked this. Who is Aaron Weber? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I should I should respond with a quote. So I would start with just a guy who loves adventure. But um, no, I, I grew up with Sega. Um, for the listeners maybe that don't know who I am, I spent a lot of my childhood playing Sega games. Uh, and of course, I played a lot of other games, too. It wasn't just Sega. So I had my Genesis and played Super Nintendo and N64 and PC and a lot of stuff. Um, and loved video games growing up and always... Um, thought that someday I wanted to work at Sega, and that was kind of my dream. I actually have a letter I wrote to myself when I was in seventh grade that was like, pretty much, I was kind of a jerk in seventh grade, I found out, and it, the letter was pretty much like, if if you're not working at Sega by the time you get this, and I got it like when I was 20, right? The teacher saved them and sent them out to us when we hit 20. It's like, if you're not working at Sega yet, you've you've slacked off. You need to like get on that and keep working towards it. Um, so that's what I always wanted to do, and uh, when I was 19, I had the opportunity to actually go out and and work at Sega in San Francisco. And so I thought, well, I can either stay here in the middle of the country in kind of like no town Missouri, or I can go out to California and work at Sega. And so I took the risk and left everything behind and the rest is kind of history. Wow. So um, before we get into your, your current roles at Sega, uh, I just wanted to touch mm-hmm. on, we've discussed your love of PSO in the past. Um, so I'm just curious, oh, how yes. often how often do you still play the games from the series? Uh, it, it's funny you ask that because so I had to move uh, recently because the Sega offices have relocated from San Francisco down to Los Angeles. And so my little brother came out to help me move. Uh, and he played a lot of Fantasy Star with me back in the day. He had his own character. He got his own Dreamcast, actually, so we could play together online and stuff. Um, and he we packed everything up, right? We packed the TV up. We packed all the consoles up. Uh, the movers take it all away, and then pretty much the room is empty. And that night, he busts out his PlayStation Portal, and he's like, "Hey, man, do you still have Fantasy Star Portable 2 Infinity?" And I'm like, "Oh, actually, I think I might." And so, yeah, within within the last seven days, uh, I've played PSP 2i with my little bro. Uh, so that kind of answers your question on Fantasy <laughs> Star. But it, before that, it had been quite some time since I played any of the, the Fantasy Star games. But, man, I love that franchise so Very much. Very nice. Well, we love it, too. We're, we're hoping we get to see more of it in the future. Um, George, you had some questions. Oh, yeah. Um, can you tell us about uh, your new position at the company and how it differs from your old position you held? Uh, yeah, totally. So familiar but new is like that. It's that cliche term that you hear a lot these days with regards to gaming and stuff like that. But uh, it actually kind of applies to my new position as well. Um 
So Sega of America uh, is, is notably smaller now than it, than it used to be. Um, but of course, the, the workload doesn't just disappear, right? So a lot of us are going to be wearing multiple hats. And so um, I'm doing a mix of both community and PR for Sonic. So you see me on the social channels like Twitter and Facebook. And if, if you guys were watching the Twitter feeds recently and going, how does this guy know about the fourth Chaos Emerald? Or <laughs> how does he know all these things? Okay, it's because it's a fan, just like you guys. Um, and so I've got to have a lot of fun with that lately. And it's, we've seen a really great response to that. So I, I handle all the community stuff for Sonic. I also do the PR stuff for Sonic. And kind of for the time being, um, I also get to interact with all of the teams at Sake of America. So uh, that means the licensing team, um, that means the, the production team is pretty much every every group within the company I kind of get to interact with. And it's it's a really cool position in the sense that knowing a lot about Sonic, a lot of people will come and ask you, you know, they'll say, how did how did we do with this game or how was this game taken? Or, you know, do you think the fans would like this? And it's cool to be able to look at it and go, oh, yeah, the fans would love that. Or, oh, wait, no, hang on, don't do that. Right. Uh, but at the same time, it's also quite a, a bit of pressure because there's so much going on uh, in the typical workday just doesn't have enough time to, to cram all that in there to, to get it all done in time. So I spend some late nights at the office. I used to do it a lot in the San Francisco office and now here in L.A. Uh, it's, it's kind of the same, but I'm going to try to get a healthy uh, life work balance if mm. possible. We'll see. <laughs> I'm picturing you as like a salary man You're sleeping under your desk. <laughs> pretty yeah, pretty much. right? There, there are stories about that. I, I will admit I have fallen asleep at my desk. At Sega, at least once, it was late at night. It was like 8 p.m. Uh, in the San Francisco office, and it was when I was working on Hatsune Miku, and the game had almost come out, and I was like really trying to get everything done on it, and it, would, it was like juggling 30 things at once, right, to make sure all the promotions hit, oh and that was yeah, that was the first night that I like actually kind of passed out and woke up a little bit later. I was like, oh, I should I should probably go home now. Oh man. So uh, Sega of America is moving to Los Angeles from San Francisco, and that's probably going to be a huge move for you guys. You guys already finished the move, right? Sort of. We're, we're still a little bit in the process. Um, and I should take a moment, actually, to, to kind of honor and, and throw a tribute towards the many people at Sega of America that, that are no longer with the company. Um, and I'm not sure if all the listeners know this, but so Sega of America obviously started kind of in the Bay Area you know, way back, right? Like you're talking the Redwood Shores, Tom Kalinske era with the Sega Genesis stuff. And it, it, earlier it traces its roots back to Hawaii as far as Sega as a company goes. But in the Bay Area, they were there for quite some time. And with the sort of transition, there were a lot of people that, that weren't able, you know, to go down to Los Angeles for whatever reason, right? So it's kind of a sad time to be entirely honest with you guys because there's so many amazing people at Sega of America that, that are no longer with the company now. Um, and there were some that had actually been there for like 20, 25 years. Like, and when you think about that, that actually predates Sonic, right? That yeah. predates Sonic the Hedgehog. And I just wanted to kind of sort of throw tribute to them because they were really not only just really amazing people, but really amazing friends for me. And so when I first got to Sega, I was only 19 when I started there, right? And I kind of, I grew up with Sega of America and a little bit with Sega of Europe and a little bit with Sega of Japan, but they were kind of my second family. And so when, when that news hit that, that the downsizing was happening and Sega was relocating and all of that, I actually didn't even know I was going back to Sega at that time. Um, But it really hit hard because it's like, you know, it's, it's kind of hearing that this family that you have, have met and grown with is, is dispersing and is changing. And then, 
it was tough. Um, but they were honestly such amazing people. And I, I'm really thankful that a lot of them have already moved on to new things and, and to better things. I'm really excited for that. Um, but, but Sega of America for all, you know, intents and purposes is kind of going through a very big change. Um, and it's kind of restarting here in Los Angeles. And so on one hand, I'm, I'm very honored and humbled to be a part of that. And on the other hand, I do want to take a moment to, to pay my respects to the many people that taught me and, and helped me so much as I was getting my start in the industry. Right. And, and to, uh, to say thank you to, to Sega of America for, for what it was and for the many memories that it provided. So I'll, I'll stop the soapbox <laughs> rant there, but I just wanted to, to say oh, that real quick. I absolutely agree with you. I mean, w- without you and the team over there and, you know, especially the past employees, you know, we wouldn't be doing this right now. Segabits probably would not be anything. George, I'm sure, can attest to that. Yeah. Yeah. But like um, yeah, I was going to say, um, you said that uh, Sega of America is smaller now that you guys are in L.A., right? Yes, com- compared to um, what we were in San Francisco. Yeah, I couldn't give you actual numbers, but there's definitely a lot more that, that we're doing on an individual basis. Okay. Um, so how's the move been going for everybody? I mean, about as good as a move from San Francisco to L.A. can go, I suppose. Um, it's a case of you know trying to make sure everything gets sorted out and um, – all the files and the assets are kept and maintained. There was so much stuff at Sega of America, guys. Oh man, yeah. I there was so much stuff there that they had like stored away. And obviously, we can't we can't take all this down. We don't have giant rooms to store all this stuff. Um, we do have some some storage areas that we've we've rented out and that I've uh, had the joy of helping uh, let the movers into and manage all the Sonic statues and stuff like that and get those packed away. Um, but it's it's a challenge. It's always kind of a challenge to to restart somewhere. Um, but the team here, I think the team at at Save America has taken it really well. I think they're doing a, a great job, kind of rolling with the punches. Um, and I think everyone will kind of be back on their feet and very comfortable with things um, within the next month or so. I think we'll we'll finally be at a good spot there. Cool. Do you guys have any ETA when you guys are going to let us know where where uh, the new offices are located? Aha! Uh-huh, I thought you might ask that. Well, I will tell you that I am I am Skyping to you now from the new Sega of America headquarters, but I can't tell you where it is. Um, I'm not sure what they did with that old blue Sega logo, though. We had one on the old building, right? This giant Sega logo you could see from the highway. looked really amazing. And I don't know what they've done with that, but if you happen to see that show up in Los Angeles, that's a good hint as to where we are. <laughs> Nice, nice. Well, we just, uh, Aaron, we have all these cookies and sweets, and we don't know where to send them. I have to throw them in the garbage now. I'm, I don't know. Okay, so the address you want to send those to is. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Um, so, speaking of your uh, current role, I'm curious, what sort of presence do you think is needed in social media to attract people to the Sonic the Hedgehog brand? Yeah, that's that I think is a really good question. Um, for me, this is just me personally, right? When it comes to social media, I think that it's important to be fun and to be entertaining. And I think that's great because that syncs up perfectly with kind of what Sonic used to be as a brand when he was kind of edgy and full of attitude. And like early 90s Sonic, to me, exemplifies that kind of attitude. Um, it's weird because games and marketing and advertisements are in this sort of flux, I feel like, where you know, you're playing your free to play games and you're getting bombarded by ads or you're playing your um, either your MMOs or your your other single player games. And, and there's actual ads for games that are being like kind of hidden in there. 
Uh, and so, so it's weird because marketing and advertising has kind of become very synonymous with the games that we are playing. And so I think it's important, um, even though you maybe you have a product you want to sell, right? Obviously, I want to promote the new Sonic game, Sonic Boom Fire and Ice, which is coming out later this year. But I don't want to be boring about it. And, and no one wants to read a really boring ad, right? So for me, it's more about making something that people actually enjoy. So if you have a product to talk about, that's cool. Make it fun. Make your message entertaining. And and whenever you are putting that stuff out there, respond. And that that for me is huge because you can tweet something out. You can post something on Facebook. But whenever people actually respond back to you, it's important to get in there and to actually talk to them. You know, community is not a one-way street. And I think that it's really key that when people do want to engage with you, that you engage back. And so that's why you'll see on Twitter and all over the place, even on Facebook, I try to get in there and, and talk to people and respond to them. And when I, when I can, I do it cleverly and or with <laughs> memes um, because we all love memes, right? Yeah. But yeah. that's the the kind of stuff that I think is, is really important. Keep it fun. Keep it entertaining and make it make it a place where people want to go and talk to you. And I think that's kind of the key to success on social media. Very nice. Yeah, I noticed too. You like to do a little little self-deprecating humor, which sometimes catches people off guard. You know, that sort of like, oh my gosh, did, did the official Sonic account just say that? But it's you've done a very good job so far. Um, I'm curious though. <laughs> <laughs> in in your opinion, what is the one thing that the Sonic brand has to improve, and what is something that the brand has been doing correctly? Maybe. Uh, Something the brand's been doing correctly after you left and before you returned. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, and this is just the the brand as a whole, like just on social media or just the whole brand. Um. Let's go with the social media aspect. Cool. Yeah. So, I think most important for me is is kind of being um, making the brand very self aware, and it and you kind of said like you know self deprecating, but in many ways I think it's it's more about being able to laugh with other people, even if it's at your own expense sometimes. Um, and having that sort of sense of humor that you kind of, in my opinion, need to really exist on the internet um, and to be something that's relevant and to be uh, a personality that people actually want to talk to and, and want to interact with. Um, and that's so that's one of the things you might have seen the tweet where someone's like, tell me about when Sonic kissed the princess. And I was like, nope, never happened. Nope, nope, nope. Like, <laughs> you know, that, that kind of stuff I think is, is important because you don't want to just ignore that question. But at the same time, you know, this guy's baiting you. This guy is trying to troll you. So you need something that's kind of an appropriate response that people will still find entertaining, but that lets you engage. Right. Of um, course. So that that's what I'd probably say is, is one of the most important things from a social media perspective is being open to talking about all of the history of Sonic, including some of the weird stuff. Or, or even, for example, um, National Kissing Day was trending the other mm -hmm. week. And obviously we hadn't planned for that because that was one of the Twitter trends, but I decided let's, let's reference a couple moments in Sonic history or maybe certain uh, Sonic fan art that we will not speak of, right? <laughs> and so I said, you know, we'd post something for National Kissing Day, but some things can't be unseen. And so stuff like that, when you reference the parts of your brand or just the internet that people know about, um, they kind of are caught off guard, like you said, the first time. And they go, wait, did the official Twitter just say that, really? <laughs> and it's important to do that sometimes, I think, to let them know that, yeah, we'll, we'll totally reference that stuff or, or do it if, it if it's funny and if we think that uh, the fans would appreciate it. Very cool. Yeah, you're, you're doing an awesome job. Uh, George? Uh, do you need to have, like, permission to say stuff like that? Do you have to be like, I got to I gotta get permission from the higher-ups to talk about Sonic kissing a, a person or something, you know? Or do you just go for it? You're like, I'm just going to go for it. 
Oh, I probably need permission. Uh, they, you know, I, I get to, to stay locked up in a box in the back of the room, so I just kind of do whatever I want. And I feel like, you know, if I do anything too bad, they'll come hit me with a stick a couple times and say, hey, hey, stop that. But <laughs> uh, they, they haven't hit me with the stick yet. So if the pages ever get boring, that's probably what happened. But in the meantime, no, um, we've seen great success actually with this. I think we, we picked up something like 21,000 followers over the last couple of weeks mm. with this new strategy and kind of just, just getting in there and being fun. And so I, I have no intent personally to stop on this direction, but it's a good question that you raise because there's a very fine line that you have to walk here, which is you want to keep it fun and entertaining, but you have to be careful because one misstep, right? And the whole thing goes off the rails. Yeah. And so that's the pressure that that I live with every morning of like rereading every post a few times and going, is there any way that someone could take this the wrong direction? Or, you know, is this potentially something that will come back to bite us? But uh, so far we've had a really good time with it and I just try to keep it on track and focused and still fun. Very, very good. Um, I want to talk briefly about Sonic Boom, Fire and Ice. This actually, I think this came about while we were planning this uh, interview. So we added some questions. there's been, oh, I guess I'll ask the question, was the development name for the game Mach 2, or did Mach 2 ever exist? I know this is, uh, I guess some people listening to this for the first time might need prior knowledge, but basically Mach 2 was some name being thrown about by a few sources. Right, right. Typically I would not answer this question for you. However, Izuka-san already answered it, apparently, as I have found out, so I will answer it for you as well. Uh, and that is, yes, so, uh, Mach 2 apparently was the, the code name for Sonic Boom, Fire, and Ice. Nice. And thank, thank you, Izuka-san, for answering that one on Facebook for the fans. Yes. <laughs> George? Um, yes. Uh, when um, when Sonic uh, – well, the the last game that came out for Sonic and Ice, uh, Shattered Crystals, came out a year prior to the, this mm-hmm. one. Do you think that uh, an year is enough time for the developers to – release a fo- uh, polished follow-up? Yeah, so my my understanding, I mean, I, was, I wasn't I was at Sega at this time, um, but my understanding is that they actually have been working on Fire and Ice uh, far before most people might be expecting. Uh, I think really to answer that question best, we need to look at what they're actually doing uh, within the game that addresses the fan feedback from last year. Um, so the levels for a start are shorter in length, right? And that was a big complaint last year was the levels were huge, but people just got lost and you'd spend massive amounts of time going through the levels. So they've made them a lot shorter. They've tried to condense the linear path down so that all the collectibles are sort of tertiary. They're up there, they're out there. You can still go find them and that content is there, but you're never really forced to go through it. Um, and if you want to just kind of speed run a level, it's a bit easier to do that now. And then, of course, actually on the note of collectibles, you don't have to go back and find them all, which was uh, from what I could tell when I was going through and reading all the reviews, that was a really big thing last year when it came to complaints from fans and from press was they did not like having to get all the collectibles. So that whole requirement has been knocked out and you can just play a level, beat the level, move on to the next level um, and just rinse and repeat all the way till the end of the game. Uh, I do know that they've also taken things that people really liked. So the Sea Fox minigame with Tails and his submarine got some good feedback last year. And so they've taken that and really improved that for both the gameplay and a graphic quality perspective um now that said so so do i think that that's going to address every criticism that has existed from the first game oh no absolutely not because when you look at at a a series like this especially with the gaming industry just in general right people 
I, I would say they hold grudges, but um, people have a lot that they're expecting. And the first impressions are very, very important. And so I think in this case, because um, for people that may not have really watched the TV show or people that have only heard about the Wii U version of the game last year, right? I think there's a certain um, sort, certain mindset kind of attached to that where people are going to look at that and they're going to go, well, you know, I don't like this game because in my opinion, Sonic should be this kind of game instead. And they're not judging it necessarily from is a perspective of is the game good? They're judging it from the perspective of in my mind, I remember Sonic being like this. And the fun part about this great kind of catch 22 is that all of us have different expectations about what we think the ideal Sonic game um, should be. I know, um, George, you've probably got something in your mind. Barry, you've got something. And for me, I'm like, ah, Sonic 3 and Knuckles, that was the best. <laughs> right? But everyone's got something a little different. And so when it comes to a game like this, it's, it's tough sometimes because no matter what you build, no matter how good it is, sometimes I think people will criticize it because when they put on those nostalgia glasses and, and oh, how rose-tinted those glasses can be, um, you will never be able to live up to that nostalgia. But I think in many ways, though, it's important if any team can do it, if any team can take the Sonic Boom name and series as far as the games go and really turn it around and really bring it back, I think it's Sanzaru. So I have a lot of faith in those guys. Sanzaru, if you're listening, I love you. I believe in you. Um, and, and they're really great people, all really nice people. Um, oh, for sure. So that's yeah, that's how I would answer that question. Pretty long answer. Sorry, but I hope that kind of explains in great detail my personal take on on all that. Yeah, we actually we spoke with uh, Matt Kramer of um, Sanzaro. So, uh, yeah, they're nice people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was going to ask, uh, is the last games, uh, the inner beam had a big role in the game. Is this is this coming back for this game? It is back for certain things. It's, it's used kind of in like platforming um, elements. So you might be jumping and you would use the inner beam to kind of swing um, from section to section. Beyond that, from what I've seen, it doesn't have a massive role in the game. It's very, um, it's a very platforming-focused game in the same way that Shattered Crystal was. So there's not a lot that you have to do outside of platforming elements with the enemy. All right. All right. Um, story-wise, are we going to be able to see more cutscenes in this game compared to the last one? And will we see more? Uh, will we see island folk like Orbot and Cubot be in the game? That is a good question. I can't tell you everything, but are you talking CG cutscenes? Uh, well, I guess yeah. just cutscenes, yeah. Okay, because, I mean, in the last game, there were kind of those cutscenes where you just saw the two characters on screen, um, and the text bubbles would pop up, and then there were also the, the nicer-looking, more professional CG cutscenes, um, and I don't, so I, I, don't, I can't really spoil anything, and I don't want to necessarily set expectations too high, but, um, I have seen at least one of the, the CG movies that's, that's in the game for Fire and Ice. Uh, the quality is really impressive. So I'm, I'm really stoked for you guys to kind of see what, what they've done with those, just from like a quality perspective with those uh, cinematics that look really cool. Very cool. Um, so when Sonic Boom launched, some fans felt that there was a disconnect between the game, the TV show, and the comics. I, when, when it first kicked off, I decided, you know, I'm just going to go all in. So I, I watched all the shows, the comics, the TV. Um, so now that the TV show seems to be kind of the backbone of the franchise, can we expect Fire and Ice to feel closer to the show? And also, um, is there a Sonic Boom Bible that expands on the backstories, locations, and character motivations that maybe either Sanzaro or the uh, the TV show team are looking at? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so well, it's definitely true that the TV show is doing great. 
Uh, I think it's ranked currently number one in its time slot on Cartoon Network. I think it's number one potentially in France right now, too. And it's doing extremely well in a lot of the other countries that it has started airing in. It actually just started airing in the U.K. Uh, and the episodes are great. You know, I mean, all the voice actors do a phenomenal job. The writers do a great job with the comedy, I feel. And so and, and it kind of shows the show is getting really, really good ratings and good reviews. Um, to your question about will the game sort of be a lot more like the show? Um, I haven't seen enough to confirm really if that is the case. I think it's best to look at it kind of from the perspective of it's definitely tied in with the show. So you're going to see a lot of different locations from the show in the game. And you, you might see characters from the show in the game as well. Um, as to your question of is there a Sonic Boom Bible? Uh, yeah, absolutely. There's there's essentially a Bible for kind of every universe of Sonic uh, that exists. And it, they, they vary, I suppose, by the franchise. There's, you know, we have classic Sonic and there's what we call modern Sonic and then there's Sonic Boom. Um, but there's a lot of info out there and a lot of stuff that is created for every character. A lot of love and kind of care goes into each individual character uh, from a design perspective as we use them going forward. Oh, very cool. Um, so is the plan to have the Sonic Boom games being a yearly franchise or are you guys going on a game-by-game -game basis? And I just ask because, like you said, Fire and Ice was in development for quite a long time, and I don't know if you said it was starting development before Shattered Crystal, but um, that's what, what I guess brought the question up. All right, so you're saying, like, is, is it... Will there be more Sonic Boom games is the question. Yeah, um, or is Sega looking at Fire and Ice as the deciding factor? Right. Well, even with all my powers of prediction, <laughs> I'm afraid the folks at Sega have not let me see quite that far ahead. So. <laughs> right. Okay. Worth I, asking. I do not have a good answer for you on that one, I'm afraid. Okay. Uh, George, do you want to ask your questions? When did uh, uh when did uh, Sanzaru start development on this game and uh how uh what how old is the footage uh shown in the trailer in development for like That's a good question. I don't know exactly when they started on this one. It was definitely before I came back to Sega. Um and as far as that footage goes, I think the footage is relatively recent. So I think it's it's pretty close, but I know there are still uh, last I heard, a number of things that they're still changing and, and bug fixes that they're making and just polish that they're adding. Um, so they're still finishing it up and, and finalizing it, getting it all ready. Um, is there a reason for the cancellation of the Sonic Boom comic, and does that affect the, uh, the plans to uh, expand the franchise in other areas? Mm, good question. So as for the comic, I actually have no idea. Um, that's more about the licensing team and Archie. Archie could probably give you a, a much better answer than I could there. Yeah. Um, but what I can answer for you is, is the part about the franchise in other areas, right? So we're definitely still expanding the Sonic Boom franchise. Um, and I know there are a lot of core fans out there that probably look at the Sonic Boom series and they just think of the, the games. But the reality is that the TV show is doing great. Um, we have the toy line with Tomy and a lot of licensing with other partners. And that's doing well and really taking off. And so from, from many perspectives, Sega as a business, Sonic Boom is, is a big success. Um, and the final piece of the puzzle, though, Right. And this is something that we all as gamers get and understand is that you have to also make games. Sonic is such a, an iconic game character. You have to make games that really match that quality. And that's really important. Nice. Um, I think the next question is actually is it, <laughs> this, yeah, this is already answered. It was yeah, about Sonic is. Runners getting a worldwide release. But hey, we're. Oh, yeah. What you, have you guys played it? What do you think? Yeah, it's fun. I've been playing it. I uh, for, for whatever reason, I can't like 
just today watching a video to continue on hasn't been working, but maybe it's my Wi-Fi connection. Um, I don't know. Unlocking characters, that little wheel thing is pretty uh, frustrating at times because I'm really bad at it. So uh, <laughs> You got to spin it faster. <laughs> yeah. All right. You can spin so, it faster? I no, thought it, you can't. I thought it you just like, spun itself. Oh, I, did, yeah. I would just push it and watch and pray for Classic <laughs> Sonic. Please, Classic Sonic, uh, come to me. I, I do appreciate, though, at least the roulette wheel, the chances are, uh, the sizes are equitable to I their... like that, too. Yeah. Right? It actually shows your odds. So you feel less bad when you fail at getting Classic Sonic or the Death Egg for yeah. the eighth time in a row. <laughs> um, uh, I did want to talk, ask a question about Sonic Team. Um, to, especially to Western Sonic fans, Sonic Team's always been a big mystery to us. Um, as a primarily Japanese dev team, you know, it comes with the territory. Is there any possibility of us getting to know the actual staff a little better in the future? I know that when Unleashed was coming out, there was uh, an amazing production blog that gave a great look at some of the talent behind the games, you know, be it character designer, level designer. Oh, that is a really good question. And actually, I would be happy to look into that kind of stuff uh, if that's stuff that you guys would like to see. So if you can even, let me know. And, and this this goes out to all the listeners on the internets. If there are, are people that you guys know at Sega of Japan or on something that you would like to know more about, that you would, would like to see an interview with, um, yeah, write, write in and let me know that on the social pages. And I will see if I can contact Sonic Team and try to get some interviews set up with these guys and maybe get them on the Sega blogs and then link out to them through the Facebook and Twitter pages and I just try to get some stuff up there. Maybe even let you guys contribute with asking the questions if I can get them to agree to it. So I can't promise it, but I think uh, I think that's a great idea and I would love to do it. So let me know who you guys want to see. Nice. We shall. Yeah. Um, also, uh, is there any word on when we'll learn more about the upcoming Sonic movie? And have you been involved at all with it since your return to Sega? Mm, that one I don't know anything about. Sorry. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Had to ask. Um, also, uh, this is, you know, Sonic's 24th just happened. Happy belated birthday, by the way. Um, yeah, happy birthday, Sonic. Yeah, and his 25th is next year. 24th felt, you know, obviously it's 24. It's not a big milestone. 25 definitely is. So internally, are you guys already preparing for the 25th? You have to tell me what you're doing. Just, I was just curious if uh, if plans are already underway. Oh, yeah. You guys, you didn't see the logo yet? What? Yeah, there's a logo that got leaked. There's a logo. It's out there. Yeah. The so, Sonic forums were like all over the place about it, inferring oh, that silver in it. So silver, the hedgehog is going to come back. And oh, then this, this number is dark, which means a dark storyline. And I just kind of read it. Like, oh, dear. <laughs> so it does have the classic Sonic, right? The, the head on the 25th anniversary logo. Yes, I see. It. Uh, it's just really it's supposed to just be a Sonic head. Um, well, here's what I can tell you about about that since the logo has surfaced. Uh, the logo showed up at the licensing expo because obviously the licensing team plans for stuff really far in advance. Um, and of course, they need to start working now for next year. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's there's definitely stuff that's in the works for the 25th anniversary. Um, I don't have any info on on what that is. We'll talk a lot more about 25th anniversary probably early next year. Um, and in the meantime, for all the fans, there are no hidden messages in that logo. So you don't need to worry about trying to break it down and doing 12-page novels about it. Um, the only hidden message is something related to Tails and the bees 
and whatever that may be, I mean, you guys will you'll figure that out. So that's that's all I'll say. <laughs> nice. Uh, did you guys know Tails is allergic to bees, by the way? No, I I'm, did not know that. Actually, that might not be true. That's it's just a rumor <laughs> I heard. I mean, it would be. I don't even know why that comes up sometimes in like documents and stuff. Like, uh, that's weird. I mean, what? Why would they say that, right? Unless something's gonna happen to Tails oh, no. involving bees in the next game. Man, that would be terrible. Anyway, let's move on to the next question. <laughs> George, go for it. All right. Uh, throughout the history of Sonic, there's been a lot of uh, amazing concept art and uh, official art for marketing, but uh, Sega's never released an official Sonic art book. Uh, can we? Is there any chance of us seeing that happening anytime in the future? You guys want an art book? We yeah, love we one. want an art book. Like, um, well, I'm glad you asked because I happen to sit next to the licensing team. So that's pretty easy for me to just turn to them at some point and say, hey, let's do an art book. Um, I'll absolutely ask about that. Now, you guys have to promise me, though, since I'm doing this podcast with you, if an art book releases in the next year or two, because it might take some time to put together, I expect you both to buy it. Do we have a deal? That, deal. That's pretty easy. Yeah, deal. Done. Deal? <laughs> All right. Good. Listeners, two sales. I expect you to buy it, too, if it comes out. <laughs> two I will, uh, I'll absolutely put that in. Yes, and dedicated to us, please. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, no, but seriously, I I will actually put that request in and see if uh, if anything could be done there. Nice. Um, so now we're entering the geeky questions zone. These are a few questions that just sure, have sure. been nagging at me. Um, I did I did actually reach out to Kelly at one point, and she said there was answers for at least one of these or two of these. So she never got back to me. Um, so here we go. What is the name of the island or islands in Sonic 4 Episodes 1 and 2? Yes, there are two islands. Uh, the first one is called Ken Island. The second one is called <laughs> Ballow Island. And they are a paradise vacation home, as you truly imagined it. Wow. Uh, honestly, though, I have, I have no idea what those islands are called. So I'm just going to call them Ken and Ballow Island, respectively. All right. My, that's in my fanon. That's my head canon right now. <laughs> it's canon now yes it's totally canon oh man thank you um no i i did know that i think at one point kelly said there may have been a bible for sonic 4 but you know in the move i'm sure uh it might be propping up like maybe the a chair or something i don't know where it is now um but you know if you ever come across it uh the other question i had um back during the promotion of sonic colors Azuka mentioned that the Sonic games have two different worlds. One is human, the other is non-human. Are these literally two worlds similar to Sonic X's storyline? All right. How far down this rabbit hole do you want to go, my friend? <laughs> I have all the time I in think, the world. Yeah, Barry wants to go really deep. All right, well, I have 10 minutes, so I'm going to give you the condensed version. So <laughs> okay. here's what we got. Um, so my understanding, personally... Right. Is that, yeah, it, it does kind of work like that. There's this human world and this non-human world. But um, to be honest, with all of the different Sonic universes and timelines and intertwined stories and weird like time shifts, um, I find it easier for my conscience and for my brain to simply separate these all into sort of their respective eras. Like the classic era is in this storyline and the Dreamcast era is over here. And then there's sort of the next, that's kind of how I do it at least. Um, but yeah, apparently there are these kind of like two worlds um, sort of similar to, to Sonic X. That's how the Sega of Japan created games for the most part um, 
fit into. Yeah. Okay, so they're two planets, two separate planets. Something like that, yeah. Okay, interesting. Huh. You heard it here maybe first, I don't know. <laughs> um, George, let's let's get through the rest of these questions, huh? All right. Well, what would you consider the most underrated Sonic game? Uh, Tales Adventure. Really? That one? Yeah, man. I like, I, I, I like I wouldn't, Tales Adventure. I was always talking about how I think that uh, Sonic's friends need their like own game instead of like putting them in a Sonic game, kind of like Sonic Adventure 2, where they added them in between chapters. Mm-hmm. I, but uh, what would you say? Me? Yeah. What's, what? What do you think is the most underrated? Because mm. probably uh, you're like you're like that one. Like no, like, I'm not saying it negatively. I'm not. I'm just. Like su- I'm just surprised that you said that one. I don't know why. I don't know. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say Sonic CD. Everybody says Sonic CD. Underrated? Oh, I, no, it's not underrated. People, like, it gets a lot of love, I think. It's probably because it wasn't ported for a long time to uh, a modern console. How about Knuckles Chaotix? That one hasn't been, uh, take, that one's still a 32X exclusive. Yeah, so Knuckles pretty- Chaotix is not a bad choice. It's kind of weird with that ring mechanic, in my opinion. I'm, I wasn't the uh, the biggest fan of that one. <laughs> um not a bad game by any means. And the, the special stages were crazy in, in Chaotix. But I feel like Tales Adventure, when I played it, the reason I, I say it's underrated is because almost, it feels to me like a lot of Sonic fans don't know about it or have never played about never played it because of like lack of a Game Gear and lack of batteries to throw at the Game Gear. <laughs> yeah. But it was a beautiful game. It was in color, right? It had great music. You, It was one of the first games where you're not playing a Sonic and it's in the Sonic um, universe. And I love the fact that it was built in such a way that it was I thought it was pretty fun. And you're like kind of leveling up as you go through, even though you're not leveling, but you're getting this gear and these things that unlock new parts of levels and stuff like that. And every time I go back and listen to the soundtrack for that, I get really nostalgic. Uh, And so this could be a case of me just doing what I talked about earlier. Right. I'm putting on those nostalgic glasses and remembering it better than it was. But I have fond memories of Tales Adventure as being a really fun game back on my Game Gear for road trips. Good pick. Mine would be Sonic Drift 2, probably. Oh, Drift was great, man. Yeah, I loved Drift um, was really good. Except Eggman was a cheater. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's that, like, true. Like the final race, right? Don't you have to race Eggman? Yeah. I just remember being really frustrated at that. Yeah. It yeah. was good, though. Yeah. Um. Oh, George. So, yeah, I was going to say, uh, is there a Sonic title you haven't played but you want to? Yeah, there's probably two. Um, the first one for me would be like the, the Sega Sonic the Hedgehog. That It's that arcade machine, the three-player arcade machine. Mm. Um. That one looks really fun. I've never had a chance to actually play it. I would love to get together with a couple of the Sonic fans and play that someday, just to say that I had. Well. The second game, um, it's probably, and this is going to sound weird, right? It's probably Sonic Schoolhouse, because uh, I've only gotten to play that for about 10 minutes. And the sections of Sonic Schoolhouse that I did get to play were equal parts glorious and completely terrifying to the point that if you were to put really dramatic, scary music in that game, I think those moments when you open the door and Sonic like has just run behind you. Right. And you open the door and somehow he's on the other side of the door and he's popping out at you. I think if you put some dramatic chords there, it would become absolutely horrifying for people. And I <laughs> personally, I think it'd be really fun to see. So yeah, that's what I'd say. Nice. I, I will tell you, Aaron, that we have a working Sega Sonic the Hedgehog arcade machine uh, in Chicago at Galloping Ghost Arcade, uh, largest Wait, arcade. What? Yeah, largest arcade. What? Where is this? In the country. It's just outside on, Chicago. Chicago? Okay. Yeah. Chicago. What's the name of it again? Galloping Ghost. Galaxy. 
ghost. Galloping ghost. And right, um, I'm booking, I'm booking yeah. a, a plane trip out there right now. <laughs> well, I will say that I've uh, I've actually become friends with the guys who run the place on social media, and I've been kind of talking with them about maybe doing like a Sega day in the near future. So, um, you know, if plans start rolling on that, I'll let you know. Who knows? I don't know what your travel budget is, but if there's an official – an unofficial fan Sega game there, or Sega Day, uh, if you want to make your way down and play some Sega Sonic the Hedgehog. Columbus oh, yeah, man. Do you, guys, do you guys get a Sega Day set up? Seriously, let me know. Yeah, they have a uh, promotional balloon, like a huge Sonic balloon, from, I think, the release of Sonic 2 or something like that, too. So they might bust that out. How big? It's, um, <laughs> I'd say it's maybe 15 feet, 10, 15, maybe, yeah. Ooh, that's impressive. It's big. It's All very right. big. They're just, they're just looking for a reason to bust it out. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. Yeah, that'd be awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, my next question is, uh, in the 90s, uh, Sonic was everywhere. He was on food, on snacks. Do you think we're going to see a resurgence of Sonic and food on like branded foods on the 25th anniversary and when the Sonic movie comes out? Oh man, yeah, the '90s were really good times. I I remember exactly what you're talking about, like the Franco-American pasta, right? Or the yeah. like the spaghetti with the little golden rings, which was a pretty genius move, in my opinion, on the old team's part. Um, I think there's definitely a desire to see a lot more branding related to Sonic. I personally don't know at all what's currently in the works, um, but I think it'd be kind of fun if you guys have any brands you think we should try to work with uh let let me know and we can tweet to them on on twitter or something like that and then we can just send all the fans their way and be like yeah you should do it and maybe a few hundred treats would make these guys want to work with us it could be kind of fun to yeah. see if we can make something happen just through social media oh um, man you're gonna bully them into it <laughs> we're not gonna fans. bully them we are no we are going to kindly make them aware of how many really passionate sonic fans might love to see a Sonic product tie-in. Yeah. You know, it'd be, it'd be great. Rock Band tweeted us the other day, so that was cool. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think I don't even know if anything's happening with Rock Band, but they <laughs> tweeted us, so I got to respond, you know, with, like, Crush 40 on, on the tweet and a picture of the Sanoi-san's, like, Sonic guitar. But I think that kind of stuff could be really fun, and I'd love to see if, using social media, we can actually start to interact with other brands out there and other big companies and maybe someday make something happen. That's what I'd love. I'll throw this idea out to you. Sonic Boom Fire and Ice branded Icy Hot. Uh, yep, yep. Yeah. Although I have to wonder about the target demographic for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for the Icy Hot. Grandma, check it out. Oh, it's Sonic. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, um, it's not mom. Know. Is it like you're, you're buying it for your grandparents? I, maybe maybe you're trying to expand the market a bit. We, we've... We've targeted kids and and teens for a while now. We're really going, you know, Sonic fans are getting older. And as Sonic fans get older, there are going to be moments when those joints don't work like they used to. Oh, yeah. And when that happens, you need Sonic Boom, Fire and Ice, Icy Hots. The problem I is, got the marketing copy already written. This done. is great. <laughs> the problem is my parents are just going to complain that it's like – it, it, Sonic has blue arms. It's not the old design. <laughs> I don't want. I don't you know, this it. this product is great. I love this icy hot. But what is up with his eyes? Why are his eyes green? I can't use this. I can't. <sighs> use this. That's what that's what they're gonna say, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like this is an accurate comparison of some elements of the Sonic fan base right there. <laughs> More vocal. Uh, I don't care if this works. He's got green eyes. Yeah. Change it. I, I actually I never even noticed the blue arms until like it took me forever. Even when people were making jokes of it on the internet, I was like, what are they talking about? I, I, I had to do a double take. Arms. 
Yeah, and part part of the reason that even happened is because we we went around pulling people. We're like, what color are Sonic's arms? And like a massive amount of people, like probably like 80 or 90 percent were like, oh, they're blue. And, and in your mind, whenever you would think about Sonic's arms, most people would think blue. Only a select group would be like, oh, yeah, they're they're tan. Oh, because it's kind of it's kind of weird in hindsight because his legs are not tan. And if you look at the fan art of Sonic with tan legs, it looks creepy. It just looks weird. Yeah. Right? I'll tell you, I'll tell you, Aaron, there's actually official art out there of Sonic with tan legs. It was very early. I think it was maybe 1990, 1991. Um, it was on a little uh, poster back, you know, those little folded up posters in the Genesis games. And Sonic has uh, tan legs. And it's creepy, right? Yep. <laughs> um <laughs> I guess in respect to your time, maybe we'll just ask this one last question. We do have four more. Do you think we could maybe email those to you and you could answer them just uh, written? And if you don't have an answer for them, we'll uh, cut them? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's no problem at all. Okay, George, ask this very important question and we'll let Aaron uh, get on his way. Okay, uh, when are we going to have a Big the Cat game? I'm, I'm sorry, did you say Big the Cat? Yeah, Big the Cat game, yeah. Like like the purple cat with the, the frog. Purple cat. Yes, yes. It's like been... the best character of Sonic Adventure, Big the Cat. Yes, because uh, the Sonic team uh, team has been saying that uh, he's not going to be in games in the future. Well, he was in Sonic Runners, wasn't he? I guess so. Technically, he he, he is in Sonic. But you, I mean, we're talking. I, I want to see him game, on the right? console. I want to play him on my big screen, not on my mobile device. See what you did there with big screen. <laughs> uh, well, hang on. Let me just let me just. I've actually I got a dev calendar uh, right here. One one second. Let me just uh, get this. Um, so with regards to the big the cat game, is the alpha, the beta. Okay, so the gamma code drops on the 18th. So it looks like our release date will be something like 4-1 of 2016. Nice. It's gonna be All great. Right. Nice. Can do you need do you need the fans behind it with a, a Kickstarter or anything? No, no, you, you'd be amazed. Um, the budget for this one is actually pretty intense. Okay. So I was walking down the street and I found $20 just lying on the ground. And that's been our entire budget for the game. Um, we have put at least 80% of that directly into game quality. And then the other 20% or so has gone towards late night parties, extravagant business dinners, and the occasional box of donuts. But it's going to be an amazing game, let me tell you. So 4-1, if you're not hyped already, you should be. I cannot wait. And this is the American 4-1, not the... Uh... <laughs> yeah. Okay. And it's yes. going to be a worldwide release, not just like a uh, soft launch in Canada and Japan, right? No, no. Well, no soft launch. We call it worldwide release, but we don't actually have the budget to translate anything. So we're just going to try and Google translate all of it. I okay. mean, what's the worst that could happen? Oh, actually, How, how many times can you... Try uh, that anyway. I mean, you can just you know, Google Translate uh, Froggy like in 40 different languages on Google Translate. Froggy has more lines than you might expect. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be <laughs> pretty intense. Oh, man. Wow. Intense cutscenes. All right. I, I cannot wait for Big the Cat, the battle for Christmas Island uh, coming next year. Um, oh, but... sorry. sorry I'll correct you on the title. It's actually Big's Big Fishing Adventure 3. And then there's a, a colon. And then it's like, uh, I forget. The next part's confusing. It's like HD Remix Extend Plus the strike back electric boogaloo. And there's a couple other colons in there. It's a bit more like featuring Danica Patrick and right. Dante from the devil may cry series, whatever you'll, you'll see the full title soon. It's going to be awesome. 
Banjo Kazooie also confirmed. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much, Aaron. DLC, it's day one DLC. Yeah, Yo, you're, oh, you're very thanks. welcome. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for confirming that. Thanks for coming on and chatting with us. Um, I guess th- is this your first interview since you came back? This is. You guys are the inaugural podcast interview since I have returned to the company. So yes. thank you guys. I just pumped my fist into the air. Uh, well, nice. hey, thanks so much again, Aaron. And um, you know the. The adventure has just started. We're looking forward to the new Sega of America. And, of course, we'll follow up with you on that uh, Sonic Team idea. Um, That would be a lot of fun. So, um, George, is there anything you want to add before we have the music start playing? Thanks for coming on the show, and uh, see you guys next time. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank thank you guys very much for having me. It's been an honor, guys. And to all of the listeners, thank you for listening in, too. And... uh, be in touch so see you guys on the twitters and the facebooks and the social medias yes and don't forget to follow sonic the hedgehog on every form of social media that you can find that's easier than listing all sounds good (laughs) yeah right just Uh, just find them all yeah yeah. we'll be there Segabits. Segabits is a fan site that is not in any way officially affiliated with Sega. Sonic the Hedgehog and all Sega-related trademarks are copyright Sega. All other featured trademarks are the property of their respective owners. Don't forget to check out Segabits.com, and you can find us on all major social networks. Just search Segabits. 